Colorado captain Gabriel Landeskog gets handed a two-game suspension opening night and other opening night takeaways for all the Central Division teams. Well, almost. The ones who have played so far, that is. This is Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm Tim Bigelow. For those longtime listeners of the podcast, you will recall the weekly podcast did recaps and analysis for the teams we cover and their games. However, this year I'm going to be moving away from the game recaps to put up podcasts sooner and to talk about the teams when there is something we should be talking about and some analysis for the actual games. You probably watch your favorite team's games, and if you're listening to this podcast, certainly know how to find a box score for the games themselves. This is recorded Friday, October 15th. Colorado minus top center Nathan McKinnon and head coach Jared Bednar, both to COVID-related protocol absences for their home opener 4-2 win over division rival Chicago, will now be without captain Gabriel Landeskog for a late-in-the-third-period hit on a vulnerable sort of falling on one knee Chicago center Kirby Dock. And to be clear, I have tons of respect for the physicality to which Gabe Landeskog plays with and his talents, as much as I have respect for the speed and playmaking top six emerging abilities of Kirby Doc, who is just showing glimpses of the complete player he will become. I'm not even looking at the jerseys on the sweaters, never mind the team sweaters themselves. It happens to be two of our Central Division teams, so it impacts the podcast, the first head-to-head this season within the division. But if this was Ottawa's Brady Kachuk on, say, New York Rangers' Capo Caco, for example, I think I would feel the same way in looking at the suspension. It would never make its way into the podcast because both of those teams being Eastern Conference teams we don't cover, but you can check your homer bias on this one and park it in Zurich because this is about as Switzerland as it gets. Doc is a puck carrier trying to gain entry into Colorado's D zone at the Colorado Blue Line just outside of it. Ended up with one knee on the ice as Landeskog finished his check and Doc into the sideboards. That if Doc is on both his feet probably is something we aren't talking about at all because a standing upright finish check by Landeskog would have been on the puck carrier and likely a clean one on Doc as well. Yet it's that Doc is on his knee and is vulnerable and Landeskog completely does finish his check hard well it looks and is more of a dangerous play the nhl has at least over the last few years for the most part given preference to the player who puts himself as the puck carrier into a vulnerable position the department of player safety expects the player making the hit to in real time make an adjustment for that reality to i guess somehow lessen the impact Make no mistake at the speed at which the game in the NHL is played at now. There's just some instances where I'm not sure, as in this case, Colorado's Landeskog has the ability to, and if he does, what potential does he have of an injury by unnaturally doing something in an effort to not finish his check at full impact? 
The hit, because Doc is falling and on one knee, looks bad when he crashes into the board. But the only person who put themselves into that vulnerable position is Doc himself trying to gain zone entry. I just can't imagine if Landeskog twisted his ankle and missed a month of games trying to avoid finishing his check with an in the speed of a second to try and lessen the impact what we would be talking about truthfully doc is vulnerable and he is the puck carrier and landeskog needs to finish his check to take away possession trouble is if landeskog was injured trying to go out of his way to avoid it his loss would be as potential and as long as doc being injured potentially would have been you just can't risk playing how the game is played Landisarg receives a penalty on the play, a double minor, and maybe that should be the end of it. The NHL Department of Player Safety suspended Landisarg for two games, so he will miss Saturday when St. Louis is at Colorado, another key divisional four-point game, and Tuesday's October 19 game on the road versus Washington. Doc was able to finish the game after the hit, thankfully. Now, it shouldn't be decided on whether a player ends up injured on whether or not a suspension should be made. That's not what I'm suggesting. What baffles me is how it seems no responsibility for how a player is in a vulnerable position while being the puck carrier and a legally hittable player when he's doing that has for his own responsibility. No Colorado player is responsible for Doc being on one knee, yet they all have to adjust to the fact that he is. Think of it this way. Say Doc recovers and Landeskog lays off and Chicago ends up scoring because Doc keeps possession. It would have cut Colorado's lead, but with more time on the clock and maybe impacted the final score. I don't know, but I don't like that it seems in today's NHL, a player carrying the puck can put himself at greater risk, and then when he is hit as a puck carrier, the player who finishes his check is punished because of the puck carrier's vulnerable position. Simply, if I'm a coach, I want my players finishing a check and also avoiding injury by not putting themselves into a vulnerable position. Right now, it seems like the league rewards players for essentially putting themselves at greater risk to be injured. That's not a shared responsibility, and I think it should be. Like if you're going to cut to the middle with your head down as a puck carrier and end up in the railroad tracks, that's on the puck carrier making himself vulnerable, not getting injured by someone making the big play and the big hit when they do it. I like defenders who can make the big hits to get puck separation on the puck carrier. I think it's a great part of hockey, and especially open ice hits. Simply, I don't think I would have given a game suspension, let alone two, to Landeskog on this. I would, if he was responsible by a hook or trip, to have had Doc become in a vulnerable position and then hit him. That, I think I would have suspended. But that's not how this play unfolded. Just be prepared all year. It looks as though I'm going to be defending suspended players more so than vulnerable players, although each case is a case in of itself. But it seems right now I'm opposite the league's opinion on this. Simply, my first question has always been, was there an infraction to make a player vulnerable or did that player's own decision making make him vulnerable all by himself? The NHL certainly doesn't assess any of these plays that way. 
From a Colorado perspective, in the 4-1 win, they came out fast, forced mistakes, and capitalized on them early. Scored the first three goals, and Colorado's D activated to join in on the offense. Defenseman Jack Johnson scored a breakaway goal to open the scoring. An Eric Johnson point shot was deflected in, and defenseman Bowen Byram pinched to score a beauty for his first NHL goal. Play after the first was an 18-8 shot on goal dominated by Colorado that leveled out over the rest of the game, but key stops by Darcy Kemper of his 32 for the game combined to be the difference. Also, for a Colorado perspective, Logan O'Connor looks to have rebounded from a pedestrian regular season a year ago. It felt like he was everywhere creating, being impactful, and that bottom six effort is the type that Colorado needs to stay atop the division. From a Chicago perspective, they look tentative off the start, and while the D group shouldered much of the blame, Chicago isn't structurally set, and I don't think that structure from Coach Colton is improved than it was from last year. That team defense, and this includes the forward group, who do share responsibility in the high danger chances Colorado took advantage of to get that lead. But instead of Chicago blaming defenseman Duncan Keith last year, it seems like Seth Jones will take the brunt of the criticism. It's really the overall team defensive play that Chicago needs to system play and with compete address. It was Chicago's second power play unit that netted a goal, not the superstar-fueled first unit, surprisingly as well. We'll take a quick break on Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and when we return, a quick look at the first games played of other Central Division teams and a look at the weekend schedule that is upcoming for all of them. Dan, so glad we were able to meet today. Thanks for coming over. Whoa, what's that? Pretty awesome, right? It's my new FlexiSpot E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Goes from sitting to standing with the push of a button. You know, I've been thinking about getting a desk like that. I have back pain from being in a chair all day, but I feel like they're either cheap and flimsy or crazy expensive. That's why I went with FlexiSpot. This desk is super sturdy, but totally affordable. The base is made of automotive-grade carbon steel. Sit on it. Okay. Hey, this is cool. All right, I want in on one of these. Where do I find FlexiSpot? Just go to their website, FlexiSpot.com. And go right now because they're giving an extra $80 off their already low prices. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF to get an extra $80 off the E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Backed by an industry-leading 15-year warranty. Don't wait. This special offer will not last long. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF. That's F-L-E-X-I-S-P-O-T.com. Go to FlexiSpot.com now. How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. 
Only at bartesian.com slash holiday. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. Winnipeg without top center Mark Shifley serving the last game of his over-gratuitous game league suspension from last year. Missed Winnipeg's first game on the road to open their campaign versus Anaheim. A 4-1 Anaheim win on the backs of Anaheim goalie John Gibson's 33-save performance, which included a 15-6 shot on goal Winnipeg advantage in the first. That still had Anaheim up 2-0 on the scoreboard. From a Winnipeg perspective, they were outgoyed by Gibson. It's usually the only time Anaheim wins. However, it was a 2-1 Anaheim lead midway through the game until Winnipeg also got into penalty trouble after not converting on their man advantage opportunities. Gibson factors into that part of them not scoring on them. However, the Winnipeg penalty kill didn't look good and simply didn't clear their defensive zone effectively to allow two power play goals that Anaheim shouldn't have been able to get on second and third offensive power play zone possessions to be able to score them. To me, Winnipeg sits back in the lanes, attempts to block shots, rather than be more aggressive on the penalty kill to force turnovers, especially true of Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry, who have been PK guys long enough in Winnipeg. You can't say the offseason departures affect the remaining players who do the penalty killing that it should have a drop-off. Even at getting a turnover multiple times over several kills, Winnipeg simply just didn't clear the defensive zone. You can't lose a specialty team's battle, especially when the opposition's goalie is on his game. Dallas, the next night, was one of three more Central Division teams to open the regular season on the road in the Big Apple against the New York Rangers. From a Dallas perspective, they started strong, built up a two-goal lead, and the Rangers battled back with some point-shot traffic and tip prayers to nod it at two and force overtime. And given Dallas's overtime shootout record from last year, big sigh, you just had to have had in the back of your mind, please, not extra time again. For me, it was too soon to be sure. Yet Dallas on an odd man rush created by a good defensive zone turnover play in a three-on-three allows defenseman Miro Haskinen to snipe a beauty winner, blocker far side, for a Dallas 3-2 overtime win. Maybe some of those Norris voters of Fox noticed Haskinen. By the way, a nice power play goal from Radic Faxon up front, who isn't a player you think of as adding offense, so it was refreshing to see an early goal from him as well. Also, Anton Hudobin had to come in as the starting goalie. Braden Holtby was hurt in the third period of the game. It looked like he took a stick on a play he left. Hudobin finished the game for Dallas. Also, Jason Robertson, Blake Como with upper body injuries weren't able to play in the opener. And you can add John Klingberg who took an awkward hit slash fall and he's out with a lower injury day to day. And Holtby now is listed as day to day with an illness which must be unrelated to that play. Seattle wins its second game that was Nashville's home opener by a 4-3 score in regulation time. Nashville is officially the first team to lose to Seattle. Seattle went back to former Colorado goalie Philip Grubauer in net, and he played better than against Vegas in Seattle's first game. Nashville did take the lead, but on the strength of a 12-4 shot and goal advantage for Seattle, it was Seattle up 2-1 through 1. 
the evenly played second due to a pair of Nashville men advantages. One Nashville converted on had it three to two after two. Nashville took it to Seattle in the third, but a Seattle empty net goal before a late Nashville goal gave Seattle the win as they again got one goal apiece. Seattle played a really prevent third. It wasn't a great look, but they did pull out their first win. From a Nashville perspective through two periods five on five, Seattle was the better team and Nashville's team defense is going to be an issue. Seattle, we might start thinking is like Calgary, a team that is going to want to win three to two close games. Arguably, you could best describe that as Nashville's template to win. Thing is, at some point, with only top quality defenseman Matthias Ekholm and the more offensively gifted Roman Yossi, who netted a perfectly placed power play goal, there's just a lot more NHL teams with better D groups and more experience in the forward group that as long as opponents get comparatively as good of goaltending, Nashville's results probably are going to look more like this game more nights than them coming out on top. Even expansion team Seattle has a more complete 6D group right now than Nashville. And while the third may make the game possession time look more even, Seattle did take all of the points available remember that preseason success by arizona and we told you to forget about everybody's preseason records welcome to the regular season columbus scored two goals in the first and three in the second and three in the third on route to a home opener drubbing of arizona eight to two and yes while columbus honored the passing of young goalie matthias klevenix who died in july after being struck by a firework and an absolute tragedy certainly his friend and fellow goalie elvis merzlikens who wore his number 80 for the home opener was brilliant at times when he needed to be i should add former jacket winnipeg jet pierre luc dubois changed his number permanently to 80 for this season in honor of keith lennox as well and i almost hope merzlikin doesn't just make it for one game but continues to wear the number as well although i haven't heard that officially the ceremony before the game was well done and keith lennox name and numbers in the rafters from an Arizona perspective back to the game being played, they overall looked slow and Columbus's transition and zone time resulted in high danger chances that Columbus capitalized on again and again. Arizona defenseman Anton Stroman's point shot goal was with Arizona's getting contact on Merzlikens in the crease that probably should have been challenged for goalie interference, although Columbus was already up in the game at that point. And the late power play goal in the third by Clayton Keller was the lone other bright spot here. Columbus missed the playoffs a year ago and have undergone change to get what they hope is back into the playoff team conversation mix. There are a lot more teams that are expected NHL playoff teams that look to be better than Columbus is so that this game between Arizona and Columbus wasn't close from an Arizona perspective is worrisome. Phil Kessel dressed so his Ironman streak remains intact and other than an offensive zone blue line gaffe that Arizona goalie Carter Hutton bailed him out of by making a breakaway save on, Kessel was ghost-like and I will note Arizona looks more physical this year. Not sure they have as much skill after Keller, Schmaltz, and Chikrin now to win many games. They aren't expected to do that, but an 8-2 loss to Columbus, well, that's even more lopsided than anyone expected. It's probably one of the two teams Arizona really looked to even have a chance to beat in the month of October. And I repeat, 
his defensive play liability, not his goal scoring, is why trading Kessel is difficult with his high price contract. He needs to play better defense. No reason to healthy scratch him with this lineup, but a contending team such as the one that Kessel hopes to be traded and play for by comparison probably would. Tonight, two Central Division teams play Chicago's in New Jersey for New Jersey's home opener, and I haven't a clue what to expect from New Jersey. You will hear that out of the gates for all the teams that comprised last year's one-off East Division because, well, I didn't watch a game of it. So short of the Isles versus Tampa Bay, again in the semifinals, well, it's been like two years for some of those Eastern Seaboard teams having watched them and tons of changes since that last time. Later in the evening tonight, Minnesota begins play on the road against Anaheim, and it's Anaheim goalie Anthony Stolarz expected to start, although personally Anaheim should go back to Gibson after his Winnipeg outing, but that's who they're expecting. Still, winning special teams and getting the lead are two things Minnesota can do to find better results than Winnipeg did on their opening night. That is the first of back-to-backs for Minnesota to start as Saturday they play L.A. Winnipeg on Saturday is in San Jose for their second game. Chicago plays back-to-backs as well against Pittsburgh, who even without Malkin and Crosby have looked good out the gates. Chicago goalie Lankinen is expected to be in net tonight. Flurry against the team that drafted him in Pittsburgh Saturday. St. Louis finally starts its season in Colorado playing their second game on Saturday, the last of the Central Division teams to play a game. And that, of course, will be without Colorado captain Gabe Landeskog. And it's still not confirmed if top center Nate McKinnon will be off the CPRA list to play, but the hopes are that he will be. Nashville is at home again Saturday, this time to Carolina, who bounced them from last year's playoffs in the first round as they come to town. Dallas is in Boston, a team like New Jersey I haven't watched, but they have some former Central Division players that they have signed over the last two seasons on the roster for some added intrigue. And yes, all the Central Division teams are playing Saturday. A matinee road game starts today with Arizona in Buffalo, considered one of the Shane Wright sweepstakes games. But if you weren't aware, let's let you know, Buffalo in their home opener beat last year's Stanley Cup finalists, minus, of course, a lot of talented long-term injured reserve players on the Montreal roster like goalie Carey Price and defenseman Shea Weber notably and it wasn't Montreal's goalie Jake Allen that started it was the backup to Jake Allen Sam Montenembeau I'm not even sure I pronounced that right and if your reaction was who well that's the kind of reaction I had I really got nothing on this Montreal goalie prospect for you but he was in that and Buffalo won five to one I didn't watch the game. I won't be voluntarily watching Buffalo against non-Central Division teams. They rate right up there with Anaheim and San Jose for unwatchability value as Arizona's tankathon season started in good company with them. Hopefully Arizona does a bit better than they started out. We'll catch up, I'm guessing, on Sunday or Monday next on Central Division Hockey, the podcast. Dallas finishes a back-to-back on the road in Ottawa as the lone Sunday game in the NHL. 
on the whole schedule. That's a 4 p.m. Central Standard Time start. So we'll be back with you either Sunday before that game or Monday after that game. For now, let's just remember it's been one game or not even one game yet for the Central Division teams. There's a lot of hockey still to be played. Coaches are not on the hot seat, not yet. And your GM isn't trading away half your team after a game either. In fact, none of the teams will have reached the 10 game played mark by the end of October, so it's just way too early to talk draft lottery or be planning a parade. Thanks for listening. Would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday.